Hi, Shono. Hi, sweetie. How are you? I'm great. What's today's topic? Um, we are going to talk about our marriage. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Does that scare you? You will. <laughs> well, why don't you sing me your favorite song that you sing to me sometimes? I sing to you pretty frequently, actually. <laughs> so, hi, good looking. What you got cooking? How about cooking something up with me? <laughs> I've got a hot rod poured in a $2 bill. I know this place just over the hill. Hi, good looking. What you got cooking? How about cooking something up with me? <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard this song before I met you. Okay. And That's understandable. <laughs> you, you, when do you think it was? It first came into being. I I imagine the nineteen thirties, nineteen forties. Yeah, I'd have to do a little googling to find out, but uh -huh, uh -huh. I don't think it would have been. Did you hear it now. a lot growing up? Not that I remember. Uh -huh. I may well have heard it in the womb. I don't know. I see. It's uh. It's been around a long time. Yeah. So when we first met, and, and let's, let's tell the story about how we met, and you tell your side of the story, and then I'll tell my side of the story. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I was professoring at a small school in New Mexico, New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology. And in Socorro. In Socorro, New Mexico. Uh, 75 miles and 40 years south of Albuquerque. Yeah. And... I got to live there a whole year. You got, well, nine months, actually. <laughs> your your mom said she won't last a year in this place, and your mom had it dead on. And, uh, <laughs> and so... Uh, so in any case, there I was. I was doing that. And it was about this time of year, so... It was... Uh, That's right. That's right. It was approaching our time for exams and yada, yada, yada. And, and so I get a call out of the blue from a, a lady who was actually my uh, a very a close neighbor. Mm. Uh, her name was Betsy Yost, and she called me and said, George, uh... uh we want you to go to a meeting in Los Angeles next week. Yeah. And she, it's about minority, it's a minority engineering education conference. Yeah. You had lived in LA a little bit. Right. I had taught at Harvey Mudd College, and so I had, I'm somewhat familiar with the area. And the... So I, I tried to beg off. I said, Betsy, you know, the exams are coming up. I, there's just all kinds of things going on next week. I did, this is just simply not a good time. And so she, she said, okay. And, and no more than five minutes later, she's calling me back and says, President Lopez says you're going to L.A. next week. Well, this conference was sponsored by uh, the Arco Corporation, the, the gas, gas station people. Yeah. And um, at, at that time, there, the president of Arco was a, um, 
a fellow who had been born and raised in New Mexico. Mm. And Arco was based in L.A. And he, he became aware that the chances of a, of a black person going in, uh, growing up in L.A., the chances that that person would go uh, to prison were much higher than the chances that that person would go to college. Mm. And he said, we, we cannot, this can't, this can't stand. We can't go on like this as a society. Mm. And so ARCO put a considerable amount of money into college education for uh, minorities. Okay. And, um, and they were focused on technical education because, you know, they're an oil company, they're, uh, they're a technical outfit. Mm, mm. And that was probably his background as well. Yeah. And what happens? Just stunningly beautiful young woman in a wheelchair came through the doorway in the conference, this little conference room we were in, wherever we were at, I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was knocked over. <laughs> well, you must have seen other stunningly beautiful women in wheelchairs before. I mean, yeah, this one was special. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because she might have been an engineer. <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure, but the second I saw her, this was uh, she seemed special to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was so young. You were a mere child. <laughs> I was a baby. Well, and <laughs> not that, quite, not quite a baby, but I was a kid. Yeah, a kid, grown up of in in many ways a very sheltered existence. Yeah, and but I had and, been living on my own uh, for for a few years and you, and working on a master's in computer science. Right. Yeah. But at that time, at the day we met, I was exactly twice your age. Oh, yeah. Let's do the math problem here. Okay. Well, I was twice your age. Yeah. And this was 28 years ago. Right. But now I'm only 1.47 times your age. Oh, no. <laughs> so you're, you're aging faster than I am. And but I'll uh, never be one times your age. You'll never be one. Yeah. But at the moment, you're 1.47, and at the time we met 28 years ago, you were twice my age. So those of you who are curious about how old we were when we first met, or even how old we are now, oh yeah, it, it's, it's all there for you to figure out. If you know how to figure out the math. If you know how to figure out the math. I think if anybody's math skills are up to this among our audience... We should treat these people to a dinner, actually. <laughs> so I was, I was working in a minority engineering office at Cal State Northridge, mm-hmm. and I was uh, almost done with my master's, but not quite. I had a year to go. Uh, our office had um, support for uh, undergraduate students. Uh, I ran the tutoring program and found tutors for students who needed them, and I went to the office one day and my immediate supervisor, who was a wonderful lady, said, you're going to this conference. And uh, it was because 
I, uh, I found out later that the person who had signed up to go to the conference had gotten sick. Mm-hmm. And so they had already paid for it and there were two people going. So my supervisor and I went to the conference. And I really didn't know what it was about. I was just like a last minute thing. And I roll in through the door. I'm trying to find my table. Where am I supposed to sit? I think we were late. Um, And I, I think I found my place. And then suddenly this guy in a wheelchair turns around and he has this big grin on his face. <laughs> Singing, hey, good looking. (laughs) Singing, hey, good looking, yeah. Uh, I was like, who is this guy? (laughs) Why is he so happy? (laughs) Is this like a a happy conference of some kind? (laughs) That's what I remember. I also remember that at the end of two days, um, people were exchanging phone numbers and uh, I think... I was telling you that I had email now. I had just gotten email. Mm. Uh, I think universities got emails, you know, before right. anybody else. And so you gave me your email address and we were good emailers for... Quite a while. Quite a while. Mm-hmm. And then you sent me a bunch of New Yorkers in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> and I had no idea what they were, but I dutifully read them. <laughs> <laughs> And I still read The New Yorker. You're such a dutiful girl. I wasn't a dutiful girl when I married you, though. Mm. I think my parents were very um, curious about... They they were freaking out. (laughs) They were freaking out uh, with curiosity. Um, And, you know, I grew up in a family where my siblings and my contemporaries had arranged marriages. Right. Well, that that was a normal thing. That was a normal thing. And, and it was because when I grew up in India, there was really no dating structure. I think right. that has changed now. But the, but the idea that you would meet somebody and go out on a date and get to know them, that was really uh, foreign. I mean, we saw that in movies, in Hollywood movies especially. Right. But you would not uh, encounter anybody in it, your regular it, day-to-day existence that was, you know, who, who had an arranged, who, who did not have an arranged marriage. Right. And I think my parents were quite aware from, from a very young age for me that I was probably not going to go um, the, the route of arranged marriage because my disability was a big, you know, might right. have been a big kind not, of not stumbling exact, block. Maybe. Not exactly a great selling point for the arranged marriage advertisements. It, no, not exactly a great selling point. And also... Um, I think they also felt like I might I might want to be with somebody who was disabled themselves. Mm. And I remember my mother telling me a couple of times and I was I was maybe a teenager but she kind of mentioned it in passing and um I wonder, I mean, I wonder what she was thinking, uh, but she was really keen on my getting an education, and my dad really was quite 
insistent that I be financially independent as I grow older, mm-hmm. which was different for me than the other females in the family. Right. And thankfully, I, you know, I was uh, goody two shoes and I kind of followed, you know, what they were saying. Uh, but I did, uh, you know, I did, I did manage to um, escape quote unquote arranged marriage. Uh, and, uh, I, when I met you and we got serious and we were talking marriage, it was quite difficult for me still to reveal this to my family. Mm -hmm. Uh, in fact, you didn't meet my parents until three days before the wedding. Right. And what was that like for you? Well, for me, it was just. It wasn't a huge deal for me, but I was certainly a huge deal for your parents and especially your mother. Yeah. I mean, she's, from this culture, the only thing she has known, you know, you, you would basically be able to find out anything you wanted to know about the, the groom uh, before the event here. You would know the family, you would know the medical history, you would know the finances. Yeah, you would be able to ask a middle middle person right. who would know the families. Right. Yeah. You, you'd be able to find out basically anything you wanted. Yeah. And here she knew absolutely zero about me. That, that didn't that, come from me. That didn't come from you. Yeah. And... Uh, here she's got uh, uh, three days to make sense of all of this. Yeah. With no support system whatsoever right. about it. Right. So your she mom. She really was curious about your finances. Right. Well, and there was a problem with the English. Your mom. Your mom speaks English. Yeah. And and pretty well. Yeah. But it's a, an issue if you're. If you go for years without speaking English, and then all of a sudden you're in, you're thrust into this situation where there is nothing but English. Well, she had also traveled. Right, and across she, the and, world, and she'd been <laughs> come halfway around the world in twenty four hours, and so you're, if you go halfway around the world, your day becomes your night, and your night becomes your day, and it's just a complete mess, and um, so there was all of that. All of that going on. Yeah. And your mom would speak in Gujarati, and you would be translating. And and I didn't realize it at the time, but your mom had a good understanding of what I yeah. w- was saying. Yeah. But in any case, she wanted to know about my finances. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was so funny. Your dad was with us. We were driving in, in the old van that I had. And well, that was another thing. I mean, I was, I was in this. Beat you looked up. really poor, George. I looked really poor. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was certainly driving a vehicle that looked really poor. Yeah. And um, so, in any case, we're just pulling into your apartment, and you're and I'm I'm getting grilled about my finances, and and they were they were adequate, and. And in fact, my dad had, he worked for AT&T his entire life. He worked for 45 years for AT&T. And he was just a technician, but he invested in every available company plan 
you know, so he owned about, uh, I mean, he owned a lot of telephone company stock in various telephone companies that was worth a fair amount of money at that time. So we hit, we hit that point in my finances and your dad started laughing and he just got out of the car. Didn't even slow your mom down. She was, <laughs> <laughs> she was, uh, so, so that was a kind of funny. Well, my mom didn't say anything about your finances to me, but I think she was very concerned about our age difference. Right. Well, I think, I mean, as I say, Understandably so. The day day we met, uh, it was twice your age. Yeah, and my mom, she didn't didn't press this issue too much, but I do do remember she said um, that, now I had three people in my life, uh, which included you and my parents, mm-hmm. and that you know what was I thinking? You know what right. what was I thinking? You know embarking on on a marriage, and committing myself to somebody who, uh, you know, who may not be a, a long long term companion. Right. Yeah. Which was a valid. That's a very valid thing to be concerned about. Yeah. Yeah. Did you think that we would we would work it out? I mean, did you believe that our marriage would be uh, a long-term one? Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. I What what made you feel that way? Who knows. Mhm. I mean, in some ways I'm a very long-term thinker. I mean, I can tell you in roughly five billion years, the sun is going to expand into a red giant and the earth will be vaporized. <laughs> uh-huh. But as far as what will happen uh, to us personally over the next 20 years at that time, yeah, I, I'm not sure I thought about that a whole lot. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, each day is a new day. Yeah. I, I think one thing my accident really taught me yeah. is you don't know where the heck you're going to be mm. 24 hours from mm. now. Mm. I see. I mean, you so know. So you go with what you feel and what you know is, is good and right and, and feels, feels like it's going to be okay, but you right. don't, yeah. So that's how I felt. Right. You know, plus you give a lot of good back rubs. Yeah, <laughs> well, thank goodness for that. I think I really was wanting a friend. Mm-hmm. I really was wanting a friend and I really was uh, convinced that you uh, you understood at a deeper level what what kind of friendship would would happen between us even though we never explicitly talked about it and I think you were really willing to give me the freedom that I felt I needed to have my own identity. I mean I was looking at all my friends around me Uh, my friends were having kids and they were having you know um, good marriages and and sometimes difficult times and and um the woman was 
you know, having these responsibilities and I just didn't have it in me to be a good wife. Mm. And I didn't feel like I was going to uphold a very wifely um you know, role in in the marriage. In fact, I even thought that I would be the the secondary parent. If I had ever had kids with somebody, I would be the secondary parent. Mm. Uh, and that, um, uh, you know, but we didn't have kids, so that doesn't, that didn't come into the picture. But I felt like you know, you were the kind of person who were, who was going to respect me for, for what I am, but also help me uh, grow in, in ways that, you know, that I saw for myself. Uh, not, not very particular ways, but just kind of a general way to become a human being. Right. And, and... Um, so, so that, you know, that feeling was very strong for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, um, I mean, it was pretty clear we were not going to have kids. Yeah. And I think my understanding of what a good wife or even a good husband is, is maybe, uh, I mean, you grew up in a situation where the role of a good wife was very clearly defined. And... um, But you did too. Well, I don't want to go into my parents' marriage. That would that would lead us down a long path. It was not the ideal role model. Mm-hmm. And so I think I was left to fend for my own understanding of it. I see, I see. And if it's just the two of us, I think it's, and perhaps it's true for anybody really, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to work out for yourselves what it is to be, yeah. Yeah. Who, who the two of you are going to be. Yeah. And I, I. Now I understand that, but I didn't right, then. At the time. Of course, you had, you were wise in your years. <laughs> oh, I, I don't want to go there. The, but I, it's interesting. I somehow had an understanding from a, a very early time. Mm. You know, girl, I, I, I went to a, a small school called Case Institute of Technology, which is now the Case in Case Western Reserve University. Yeah. At the time I went there, they had just started admitting female students. They had three mm. three young ladies. Mm. Boy, you talk about social isolation. Those young ladies were socially isolated on mm. campus. I mm. mean, hardly anybody would go up and talk to them. Mm. And... And me, me included. I was. I mean, you're young and stupid and shy, and and. But in any in any in any case, I've always felt that we're wasting half of our talent. Mm. Yeah, you know, we are. We're wasting half of our talent. Yeah, and in okay. fact, we're wasting more mm. than half of it because now this. I mean, this has always been extended to people, who were who were non-white. Yeah. I mean, we're going. We're facing terrible, terrible issues over the next uh, uh, hundred, two hundred years. I mean, we need every ounce of talent we've got, and I've always felt that way. Two of the people we need to thank for us being together in some ways 
And Richard and Mildred Loving, in fact, were an interracial couple. They were lived in Virginia, and the month I was born, George, um, they, uh, their case was presented in the Supreme Court, and they were fighting for the right to be together. Richard was white and Mildred was African-American and she also had some Native American ancestry. And in the state of Virginia, they were not allowed to be married. Right. So um, they, their case was heard in the Supreme Court in 1967 and they won the case. So unanimously, unanimously, and we need to. I always think of the lovings when our anniversary comes around, mm-hmm. and think about you know their sacrifices and their courage, uh, you know, to make this happen for for the rest of us because a brown person like me and a white person like you, and and to boot both disabled. You think there were laws against disabled people um, oh, being uh, together? Yeah, I'm not sure about. I've not heard of being together. Yeah, there were, there were small towns around the country that had laws that if you were physically disfigured, disabled, in a wheelchair, mm. uh, cerebral palsy, whatever, mm. that you were considered to be. Uh, an affront to the normal citizens, and you weren't allowed outside in the daylight. Wow, wow. Or those were the laws. I don't don't know what they would have done if they'd have had to contend with me at that point in time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh, But but in in any case, so we've come come a long way since Mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we are standing or are rolling on the on the shoulders of of giants, as they say. Yeah, yeah. I also want to say thanks to my family for for um, really accepting you in in big big ways. Absolutely. And and really kind of getting to be friends with you. Yes. Uh, and also thanks to your family uh, because in an arranged marriage. What happens is the families really like each other. Right. The two people may like each other, maybe later. <laughs> um, and and we we got it all. You know, we liked each other, uh, mm-hmm. and we we were able to be together in in a situation where both of us were really longing for a partner who understood them. Right. And not only we got that, we got families who right. really supported us but and continue to support us. Both my sisters told me right after we were married that if we got divorced, they were keeping you. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, <laughs> I could go where I wanted, but they were keeping you. Um, well, I just, uh, I think... We have so much to talk about, and we also want to keep this family friendly, <laughs> this episode family friendly. So I'm going to um, take this moment to say I love you. Oh, I uh, love you too, sweetie. <laughs> I love you, Shonu. <laughs> uh, thank you, friends. Thank you for being with us. We are with you. Um, we 
we'd love to uh, hear what you think of us talking to each other if you have any questions comments you can write to both of us at hi there shonu at gmail.com namaste all namaste all be good to one another